0: Hello, and welcome to Season 4 of Week Mystery. This is your host and author, J.C. Bodden. If you've been with me before, you'll know that each week I present a chapter from one of my novels. We've done three seasons so far, one for each of my first three books. If you're joining us in the middle of things, then you might want to go back and start at the beginning. Or maybe at least at the beginning of a season. Each book is standalone, but they are all part of a series and flow basically in chronological order. So, on to this week's podcast. I'll be reading to you from my novel, Nightwatch, which is the fourth book in the Devlin O'Quinn mystery series. If you like what you hear and can't wait a week for the next chapter, Nightwatch, as well as the other three books in the series, is available in both Kindle and paperback format from Amazon. And as always, if you'd like to order this or any of my books, Click on the link in the podcast info to visit my website, jcbodden.com. Now, let's not wait any longer. Here we go with episode 402, Nightwatch, Chapter 2. Jenny stayed with her father and Roger drove Elliot back home. He kept glancing over at her, but she was uncharacteristically quiet. As he eased the car to the front walk, he gently took her hand in his, pulling her back into the car. "'He's going to be okay, Elliot. He's tough. He's going to be okay.' "'Thank you, Roger,' she smiled. "'I know you're right. He is tough.' She patted his hand. "'I just want you to find out whoever did this to him.' Her voice had an edge of anger to it that Roger had never heard before. "'Find whoever did this to him, to us, and give me five minutes alone with the bastard.' She got out of the car and slammed the door. On the porch, she took a deep breath to steady herself. Her breasts were swollen and tender. She hoped Tracy hadn't given Reese a bottle and that he would be ready to nurse. She really hated the thought of using that breast pump, especially after everything that had happened. Elliot's family came to the door. Lynn and Blake, Tracy carrying Reese, all gathered around her. He's okay. He's banged up pretty bad, but he's okay. She took Reese from Tracy and hugged him tight. "'How long ago did he eat?' she asked Tracy. "'I gave him a bottle right after you left.' She glanced at the clock above the fireplace. "'He's about due to eat again.' As if on cue, Reese began grunting. Elliot smiled. "'That's my boy. Always ready for a meal.' She carried him to the rocking chair and sat down to nurse. "'Is there anything I can get you, Elliot?' Tracy asked. "'No, thank you, Tracy. And thanks for being here, too.' "'Of course, Elliot. I can stay as much as you need me to.' Elliot's breasts were so full she thought she might explode. The baby sucked eagerly. It helped her nerves doing something so ordinary, so basic. She told herself that it was just temporary, the memory loss. Everything would be all right. Roger was right. Her husband was tough. He would come back to her. She leaned her head back against the chair and rocked gently as she nursed her son. She tucked Reese into his crib for his morning nap. In the living room, Lynn and Blake were on the couch. Tracy had laid out tea and coffee for everyone. Okay, Elliot started as she took her seat in the rocking chair again. Let's see. I know you're curious about Devlin. She started ticking off his injuries one by one. Cut above his left eye, eight stitches. Black eye, swollen shut. Busted lip, two loose teeth, molars, but they have to wait for the swelling to go down before they do anything about that. His face looks pretty bad, all swelled up. She sighed and went on. Dislocated shoulder, three cracked ribs, no internal bleeding, thank God, broken ankle. It's going to take some pretty serious rehab, the doctor said, so he can walk without a limp. Bruises all over his chest and back, knuckles swollen, scraped to hell. He must have put up quite a fight. Concussion, memory loss, early stages of shock and hypothermia when they found him. She looked around the room at all the worried faces. If you didn't know better, you'd think the man had been thrown from a train or mauled by a bear. Maybe even both. Everyone was silent for several minutes. Blake was the first to speak. Where are they on figuring this out? I mean, any ideas on who did this? Roger's working on it. He'll get the job done. I've never seen him more upset than he was at the hospital today. What can we do, sis? Lynn asked. I need to shift around my caseload, call my clients... There's a case that's on the docket for next week, Tuesday, that I need to get rescheduled. Lynn spoke up. I can take care of all of that for you, Ellie. I'll go to the office this afternoon and work it all out. I can still remember how to do it all from my assistant days. How much time do you think you're going to need? I don't know. The doctor said he would have to stay through the weekend. He'd be released Monday at the earliest, but I'm guessing it'll be more like Tuesday or Wednesday. And even when he gets home, he's going to need care. He's so battered and bruised. Better see if you can clear me out for the next two weeks at least. I don't want to rush it. He's been through a lot. Roger went back to see Devlin after he dropped off Elliot. Jenny was still there, holding his hand as he slept. Hey, Jen, Roger whispered. How's he doing? He's been in and out of sleep. Has he said anything? Anything at all, you know, about who did this or what happened? He mumbles a lot, even in his sleep. I don't know if he's dreaming about it or not. I can't tell. But I don't think he remembers anything about last night. He told the doctor it was 2007. I don't think he remembers the past two years. He didn't even know who Elliot was. Roger rubbed the back of his neck. Shit. He'll come around. It's just because of the concussion. Jenny didn't sound completely convinced. Okay, listen. Roger pulled a small notebook and pencil out of his shirt pocket. I'm going to leave this here. "'He says anything, awake or asleep, names, whatever. "'You write him down in here.' "'He handed the notebook to Jenny. "'And tell whoever else stays with him to do the same thing. "'Okay, yeah, Roger, I I will. "'I mean it, Jenny, anything. "'Yeah, sure.' "'Roger bent over and kissed her on the forehead. "'He's going to be okay, Jen,' he said with a sigh. "'And I promise you, I'm going to find out who did this.' "'Jenny, tears in her eyes, "'looked from Roger's angry face back to her father's swollen one. "'Yeah, Roger.' You do that. The doorbell rang Saturday morning. Elliot was at the hospital, and Tracy had agreed to work the weekend in exchange for a couple of days off the next week. She peered through the security window to the front porch and drew in a sharp breath. On the porch stood Gabriel McTaggart, little Mac. He was a notorious local womanizer and heartbreaker. His exploits around town were well known. Although Tracy had never met him, her roommates discussed his wild ways regularly. Remembering that he had been the ranger who found Devlin at the state park, she opened the door. "'Hello?' she asked as she studied this local legend carefully. He pulled his cap off his head and flashed her his famous smile. Lopsided, brilliant white teeth, one slightly crooked incisor. His golden-brown eyes looked her over from head to toe as he pushed his fingers through the shaggy mop of black hair on his head. Her stomach flipped. She crossed her arms, determined not to be taken in by his charms." Um, hello, he said. His voice was an easy baritone. For some reason, this surprised Tracy, who had expected something deeper, raspier. It would have gone better with his bad boy image. Instead, his voice was gentle, kind-sounding. She wondered fleetingly if he could carry a tune. I'm Gabriel McTaggart, he said, as he extended his hand. Friends call me Mac. Yes. She stood in the doorway, her arms still crossed, noting that he had dropped the little part of his nickname. She wasn't accustomed to visitors at the Alquin house while she was working, and she wasn't entirely sure what to do about this one. It wasn't really that she didn't trust him, but she was wary by nature. Yeah, well, he paused, looking again at her face. The school reception was unexpected. He was used to charming his way into any room, especially one guarded by a pretty girl. He pushed his hand through his hair again. "'Is Mrs. O'Quinn in?' he finally asked, twirling his cap in his hands. "'No, she's at the hospital.' "'Oh,' he nodded his head slowly. "'How is Chief O'Quinn?' Tracy relented a little. He seemed fairly harmless and genuinely interested. Besides, the man had helped her boss. She had to admit that he looked pretty safe standing there in his ranger uniform, dark green pants, khaki shirt, State of Alabama patches on the sleeve— G. McTaggart above the breast pocket, badge pinned in place, thick leather belt with radio and gun attached. After all, this was the chief of police's house, not some crowded bar on a Friday night, and Tracy knew that a man in uniform was always welcome here. He's okay, considering what he went through. I haven't been over to see him. Would you like to come in? She smiled slightly and stepped back out of the doorway. Mac nodded his thanks and stepped into the house. He looked around, his cap still in his hand, appreciating the handsome details of the O'Quinn home on the river. Open floor plan, picture windows with a beautiful view of the water, stone fireplace, modern kitchen. Then he looked again at Tracy. I'm sorry, I didn't catch your name? Tracy blushed, embarrassed that she had been rude. I'm Tracy Lee Watson. I work for the O'Quinn's. I'm their nanny. Oh, I see. Mac walked toward the wall of windows at one end of the room. The view of the river, surrounded by trees in their vibrant fall colors, was spectacular. He turned back to Tracy. This view was just as good. Nice place. Yeah, it is. Tracy followed him. I'm not really sure when Elliot is going to be back. Is there something you wanted? Mac flashed his winsome smile again. She was so tiny, delicate. The term willowy came to mind. He flicked his hat back on his head. "'This was on the ground outside the men's room where I found Chief O'Quinn,' he said as he dug something out of his pocket. "'I thought it might belong to him, so I brought it over.' He held it out in the palm of his hand. "'Is it his? Do you know?' Tracy walked where he was standing and took a close look. He was holding a silver medal. It's chain broken. "'Yes,' she gasped. "'It's Uncle Devlin's St. Christopher medal. He wears it all the time. "'Actually, it's St. Michael.' "'St. Michael?' "'Well, yes,' the young man poked at the face of the metal in his hand and grinned widely. "'See? It says so, right there.' Tracy bent over for a closer look. "'Sure enough, there it was. St. Michael, pray for us,' engraved around the edge. Of course, she had never looked at it this closely before, since that would have meant staring her employer in the chest at very close range. She raised her head quickly, suddenly realizing just how close she was to little Mac MacTaggart. The young man in question continued as if he hadn't even noticed.' "'St. Michael is the patron saint of law enforcement, "'not to mention the sick. "'Doubly useful now, I suppose, now that the chief's been hurt.' "'Oh,' she murmured, feeling a fierce blush creep up her throat. "'I didn't know. "'Well, so, not Catholic, then?' "'No,' she shook her head and studied him carefully. "'She'd never even met a Catholic as far as she knew.' "'Me either,' he said casually, shrugging, "'and she felt her blush subside. "'Did you call him Uncle Devlin?' With that, she was suddenly twice as hot as before, embarrassed and irritated at herself for being so. Her past should not have the power to make her feel ashamed. "'Well, he's not really my uncle,' she stammered. Something about the look on his face compelled her to explain. "'I grew up at Twin Oaks Farm, and my foster mom and dad there are the chief's in-laws. I've called him Uncle Devlin ever since I was six years old. It's a habit that's hard to break.' She impatiently pushed her bangs out of her face, wishing to change the subject, but knowing from past experience that it would only make him ask more questions. Surprising her, Mac just nodded. Cool. He held the necklace out to her. Well, here you go. I'm glad I came over. Maybe you can give it to him. Tracy nodded and gently took the medal from him, careful not to drop the broken chain. Her fingers brushed his, and she felt her cheeks redden again. She looked at him sharply. He was grinning at her. God, he was cute. It only fanned the color on her face. "'Thanks,' she managed to blurt out, her irritation with herself now showing in her voice. "'Okay,' Mac said as he hooked his thumbs in his front pockets. "'Well, I just wanted to drop that by. Tell Mrs. O'Quinn and the chief that I was asking about him.' Tracy just nodded, not trusting her voice to say anything else. Mac walked toward the door. She followed him several steps behind. On the porch he turned to her. "'If it's okay, I'll probably come by again once the chief is out of the hospital.' you know, to check on him. Tracy just nodded again. She did manage a mumbled thanks and bye before she closed the door softly behind him. Thank goodness the baby chose that moment to wake up from his nap. She hurried to the nursery to grab the little guy out of his crib, desperately pushing all thoughts of sexy Gabriel McTaggart out of her head. Max stood on the porch a long moment before he got in his truck. "'He drove to the state park without thinking "'and was surprised when he found himself pulling into the space "'between the ranger station and the house. "'He shook his head, trying to rid his mind "'of the pretty little thing he had just met. "'She was so small, with such delicate features, "'light brown hair, freckles across her nose, "'but her eyes were what really caught his attention. "'He had always been a sucker for big brown eyes, "'and Tracy Lee Watkins were bigger and browner than most. "'Framed by her pretty face, "'her eyes were definitely her best feature.' "'although he hadn't missed the wariness behind them. "'He pondered the cause. "'She had been a foster child, after all. "'Maybe the victim of abuse? "'Whatever it was, she was a skittish one, all right. "'Talk about a deer-in-the-headlights look. "'No sense in pursuing that. Too much work. "'After all, this was a college town. "'Plenty of fish in this sea, "'and lots of them have big brown eyes.' "'Devlin insisted on being released Monday morning.' He would have left on his own against medical advice, Saturday afternoon or Sunday, had he been able to. As it was, no one would give him a ride, and he knew he couldn't drive himself, not with his right ankle in a cast. Besides, he had no car at the hospital. Still, he was adamant that he was not going to be cooped up in that hospital any longer than absolutely necessary. It gave him a headache, he said. Not to mention that he couldn't sleep, and the food was terrible. He'd be better off convalescing at home. Elliot rented a wheelchair since he was not to put any weight on his ankle, and his shoulder and ribs were still too sore for crutches. Joe, his son-in-law, built a temporary ramp up one side of the front porch stairs and went to the hospital Monday morning with Jenny and Elliot to help bring him home. The cuts and scrapes on Devlin's body had begun to scab over, and the swelling in his hands and face was down. The only thing that hadn't started to mend was his memory. He still had absolutely no recollection of anything since December of 2007 doctors refused to say that he would never get those memories back, preferring instead to encourage the family to tell him stories, show him photographs, and generally work to help him recover gradually. Devlin insisted that he would do much better if everyone would leave him alone and let him go home. He felt a huge wave of relief as Elliot opened the front door and Joe pushed his chair over the threshold. At least his house still looked the same. That is, if he didn't count the high chair by the dining room table or the vase of fresh flowers on the coffee table or the huge black lab that came over and stood beside him, licking his hands and wagging its tail. He put his hand on the dog's head and then squinted up at Jenny. That's Shug, she said. Elliot gave her to you as a wedding present. Devlin looked up at Elliot. Thanks, he said. Good name. Elliot returned his smile. She adores you, goes everywhere with you. The night you went missing, she refused to come inside. She had gone with you on your run, came back without you. When I saw her standing on the front porch like that, that was when I knew something bad had happened. Devlin scratched her behind the ear. Good girl, he whispered. The dog's tail wagged even harder, thumping against the wheelchair. He glanced back to Jenny. What about Buddy? Don't worry, Devlin, Elliot said, putting her hand on his shoulder. That old cat's still around here someplace. Probably curled up on your pillow, waiting for you to come home. Tracy stepped up and extended her hand. Hello, Uncle Devlin, she said, her voice quiet. I'm Tracy Lee Watson, Devlin finished for her. Tracy, blushing strongly, surprised that he remembered her, looked quickly from Devlin to Elliot and back. Twin Oaks kid, right? One of Tilly and Mickey's? Yes, sir, she nodded. Devlin looked a little confused, obviously wondering why she was here. Elliot filled him in. Tracy works for us. She's our nanny. She takes care of Reese while we're at work. Devlin angled his head. You live here? he asked. Tracy shook her head. Oh, no, I've got an apartment in town. I'm just here during the work week. He nodded. Oh, okay, that makes sense. How are you? I'm fine, sir, she said. It's good to have you home. Thank you. Elliot turned to Tracy. Is Reese up? No, ma'am, but he should be in about... Tracy paused, looking at her watch. Another half hour or so. Devlin reached up and touched Elliot's hand. "'Can I see him?' he asked, his voice rough. "'Oh, yes, of course, Devlin,' Elliot replied. She stepped back out of the way so that Joe could push the wheelchair down the hall to the nursery. Devlin leaned forward in his chair, studying the baby through the slats in the crib. Reese was sprawled on his stomach, his hands beside his head. The middle two fingers of his left hand were planted firmly in his mouth, making it hard to see much of his face. His dark hair was thick and straight and poking up on the top of his head.' His cheeks were rosy red, the the rest of his skin soft pink. His lashes were dark, just like his hair, and the longest Devlin had ever seen. After a few moments, Elliot knelt beside the wheelchair. He's beautiful, Devlin said, his voice still rough. He smiled softly at the woman at his side. He looks like you? No, Devlin, he looks like you. He has dark hair, sure, but he looks just like you. The shape of his face, his smile, everyone sees it. "'He's you with dark hair. His eyes are green, too, just like yours.' Devlin turned and looked at Elliot, trying desperately to remember the life he had had with her. He wanted so badly to know it all—their courtship, the wedding, Reese's birth. It just wasn't there. He felt like he had picked up a book and started reading it in the middle, or missed the first half of a movie. He backhanded a tear rolling down his cheek. "'Hey, it's okay,' Elliot said, now crying, too. "'You'll remember. I'll help you.' It's okay, she whispered. She leaned forward and gently kissed his cheek. He looked into her deep brown eyes and smiled softly as he nodded. After a moment, he cleared his throat. That ride from the hospital just about did me in. He motioned for Joe to bend over so he could see him. Maybe you could help me into bed. Joe wheeled the chair into their bedroom and gave Devlin a shoulder to lean on as he carefully stood and then worked himself onto the bed. Sure enough, just as Elliot had predicted, the cat was there, purring and rubbing his head affectionately against Devlin's arm. Hey, buddy, how you doing? Thanks, Joe. Devlin breathed as he eased himself back on the pillow, the pain of exertion etched clearly on his face. You take care, Devlin, Joe said with a smile. Let me know if you need anything else. I'll take care of it. Yeah, Joe, thanks. Thanks for everything. Joe positioned the wheelchair beside the bed and then turned to Elliot. Let me know when you need me again, he said, his clear blue eyes filled with love and concern. I can be here any time, day or night. The cat jumped off the bed and patted down the hall. Elliot patted Joe's back as he left the room. Then she turned to Devlin. You need anything right now? Your pain meds or anything? Come here for a second, Devlin said quietly. She stood close to the side of the bed. He gently took her hand in his. Can I ask you something? Sure. Was he planned... "'Reese, I mean? Did we?' "'Elliot laughed softly. "'No, he most certainly was not planned. "'Neither one of us was looking to have another baby. "'I found out I was pregnant the day before we got married.' Devlin raised his good eyebrow. "'The day before we got married? "'Why, Mrs. O'Quinn, just what are you telling me? "'Was ours a shotgun wedding?' "'Elliot leaned over and kissed him gently on the top of his head. "'Hey, you're the one with all the guns, Mr. Chief of Police.' What I am telling you, she said, her dark eyes dancing, is that you and I have been having amazing sex since before we got married. I'm also telling you thank you. Thanks for the amazing sex? Well, she smiled, that and for Reese. Oh, okay, well, you're welcome. Sometime soon you're going to have to tell me more about that amazing sex stuff. Elliot laughed softly again. Listen, babe, when you're healed up, I'll do more than just tell you about it. I'll show you. Wow, I think my pain meds are starting to kick in. Maybe you could show me now. It's good to know your sense of humor is still the same, Elliot said. She squeezed his fingers and then pulled the quilt over him. Devlin watched her as she left the room, stopping to turn off the light and gently close the door before she went. He sighed, but the barking pain in his ribcage drew him up short. Damn, I sure as hell have good taste, he muttered to himself. As he drifted off to sleep, he wondered what she had meant when she said that neither of them had been prepared for another child. Roger DuBose had been working Devlin's case since Elliot's phone call had gotten him up Thursday night. Now it was Monday afternoon, and he was no closer to solving it than he had been when he started. Sure, the chief had been found, beaten and bloody in the State Park bathroom, and the crime scene where the beating had taken place had been discovered, one of the rental cabins in the park just past the campground. But that was only the where. The essentials, the why, and more importantly the who, were still a big question mark. At least Roger hoped it was a question. He couldn't help worrying, in the back of his mind, that he was all too familiar with both the why and the who. That concludes this week's chapter of Nightwatch. Thanks for listening. To find out what happens next, please come back for episode 403 of Wait a Week Mystery or visit jcbodden.com to order the book. And as always, I hope your wait is a happy one.